and I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of life-giving love and love-giving life, spirit of the winter solstice when the night has reached its longest point and the day is at its shortest, spirit of the time of year when clarity is so sharp and keen in the glinting sunlight of the afternoon and the darkness of that long night. Be with us as we struggle through our struggles, as we take joy in our triumphs. Be with us as we seek to be with one another, that we might glean from the spirit of the season, our embrace of that which is difficult as much as our embrace of that which gives us joy. May we be healed where healing is needed. May we be healers where we are able. Let us hold this moment together in quiet. Amen. Our first reading is the poem Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Our second reading is from the sermon, Christmas Always Begins at Midnight, by the late A. Powell Davies. It was delivered in 1946 at his All Souls Unitarian Church. Whenever we feel pessimistic concerning the future of humanity upon this troubled planet, we can always remember this, that with all his fears and failings, man has yet somehow managed to put the brightest of his festivals in the darkest part of the year. Not at midsummer, but at midwinter, he celebrates most universally his hope and joy. The hardihood of this festival, continuing as it has through many thousands of years and rising stage by stage, from primitive frenzy to pagan jubilation and finally to the symbolism of Christian observance, gives us true cause for confidence and reassurance. When it is darkest, man celebrates the light. When the earth is most desolate, he carols his joy. When the harshest and bleakest of the seasons is upon him, he can turn to gentleness, kindness, and forbearance. His courage can rise superior to his circumstances. So there are, are two American artists that I think express well the theological implications of the winter solstice. They are the poet Robert Frost and the pe preacher A. Powell Davies. They were contemporaries of each other, but, um, but Frost's life outspanned Davies by a few years on both ends of it. 
In their work that I share with you this morning, particularly Frost's stopping by the woods on a snowy evening and and Davy's Christmas always begins at midnight, both of, of these pieces invite each of us first to yield our resistance to going into the darkness of this Yuletide season and then having embraced the darkness, finding ourselves there to move through it. Both of these artists warrant our attention on this weekend of the very shortest day of the year and the longest night. I suspect that the much-decorated and loved poet Robert Frost needs little introduction to those of you here. He was a four-time Pulitzer Prize winner and poet laureate of the nation. His work is published in any study of American literature. And Frost's poem, Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening, was published in 1923. And it's such an American standard that I think far too often it's taken for granted. It's generally regarded as a non-religious piece, perhaps a bit on the spectral end of things, a bit ghostly, but not religious. Quite often the poem is seen as a rural commentary through the perspective of a writer seated atop a horse-drawn sleigh in iconic New England. And the writer happens upon a bucolic, snowy woodland scene where he stops to take in the moment before returning to his rounds. The poem requires a bit of unpacking, though. On the surface, I would have to agree with the summary of the poem's actions. That's what happens. The writer approaches the woodlot on the sleigh. He drifts a bit in his thoughts as the snow drifts about him. He then calls himself to task and then heads out on his way once again. Though the poem might seem to be quite temporal, quite worldly, I would have to say that I find few poems to have greater spiritual or religious content or depth as this one does. And spectral, well, maybe yes, spectral too. Some say the person in the poem is an autobiographical depiction of Frost himself. Others think that perhaps the poet has created a fictional writer for the horse-drawn sleigh. Whichever it was, I suspect that was an important distinction for the poet, but for us, it's less important as long as we're willing to accept the invitation to place ourselves in the poem, right there behind the horse on the seat of that sleigh, riding through those somewhat familiar woods on a snowy evening, the darkest night of the year. This is not your over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go sort of verse. This is about darkness. It's about the difference between life and death. This is about being alone outside the village, outside of society, This is about the season of winter, so late in the cycle of a single year, the season of winter, so late in the span of a single human lifetime. The poem is about contemplation, about the possibility of giving oneself over to the winter, to the darkness, to the easy wind, to the cold, to the inevitable night. The invitation is so enticing. The woods are so lovely, dark and deep. If you let your mind drift along and meld with the person there on the sleigh, there would be no need of great effort. It would be the most natural thing in the world to simply drift off to sleep, the permanent sleep that comes in the cold. That would be a darkest moment, wouldn't it, there in in the night in the cold of winter, alone, all alone. But then into that darkness, A light shines through the consciousness of that traveler. But I have promises to keep, he says. But I have promises to keep. 
And in the, in the brilliance of its glimmer, what he sees in that light are the connections that hold him to life. In the instant, he is lifted out of the cold and into the warmth, lifted out of his imagined solitary confinement and into company. He is reconnected to hearth and home, reconnected to friendships and partnerships. He's reconnected to community and to society. Into that darkest moment, a light begins to shine, and he is lifted. We are lifted by the reconnections that assure us that we are not in this alone. We have others who rely upon us as there are others upon whom we rely. And so, because of those connections that hold us to one another, that hold us to life itself, we have miles to go before we sleep. Stopping by the woods on a snowy evening is one of my very favorite religious poems. It reminds us that we needn't be afraid to go deeply into our dark questions. It reminds us that we are a part of this great mystery of life. It reminds us that we can see and feel, that we can touch and hold both our questions and those mysteries. The poem reminds us that we are a part of an interdependent web of being and that our part in the web, however we might have come by it, our part in the web is our birthright. We are each here with the fullest legitimacy. This is one of my favorite religious poems because it assures me that when our time does come to climb all the way from living back into the mystery out of which we came, just as winter assures us that one day we must, we will have had the opportunity to have gleaned some very meaningful appreciations along the way. Perhaps we will have been able to experience the strength of perseverance and enjoy the fruits of our faithfulness. Perhaps we will have become aware that we have been saved time and again through our connections and reconnections with our fellow travelers who have held us along the way. Perhaps we'll have become aware that we have been saved time and again by the strands of the web of life that have also held us here. And perhaps we'll have been able to recognize if our end comes by no accident able to recognize the preciousness of the journey and the inevitable need for its end. I'm not saying that it will altogether end when we die because, like you, I don't know. I don't know if death is the end or if it is not. Either way is fine with me, really. If I awaken on the other side of death to an afterlife, I'll be surprised, but I won't complain. And if I don't awaken to an afterlife, well, I won't complain then either. <laughs> I have a faith that being here on this journey will have been enough. When our time comes, I'll hope that each of us will be able to let go with gratitude for this journey, this journey of life that we have been given, that we have endured, that we have enjoyed, that we have cherished, whatever comes next or does not. Until then, though, while we are held by one another and held by life itself, I hope that we hang on as best we can, as the sleigh rider in the poem does, to this ride of our lifetimes. And before that ultimate time occurs, while we are still in the midst of our ride, when things do get dark along the way, as they do from time to time, that we will be able to recognize the darkness for what it is, a mere interval that occurs before the returning of the light. And when, at those times, in the midst of life, things seem to be at their very darkest, I hope that we're able to hold on in faith and in hope 
for the coming of that light, for the coming of the new day. This is, after all, a season for the birthing of hope. This paying attention to the darkness at the solstice, just as winter begins, really is, is such a natural thing, and Robert Frost is not the only one to create a religious classic out of this theme of the seasonal darkness and of our longings for the return of light that go along with that darkness. Both the darkness and the longing are inherent part of nature, of, of our human nature, to that same end, then, Christians have created Christmas. To that same end, Jews have created the story of the miracle of light that is at the center of Hanukkah. So many traditions have adopted and celebrate stories of the same theme for this moment within the cycle of the year. A. Paul Davies was one of our own. He also grasped this solstice theme, and he drew it from within the context of the Christian story of the birth of a Savior. He spoke of the significance of darkness as the central point of that narrative in his sermon, Christmas Always Begins at Midnight. And we heard an excerpt that Michael read to us a few minutes ago, but I want to share more of that sermon with you in just a moment. But, but before I do, I want to give you a little introduction to A. Paul Davies. He was a most remarkable Unitarian minister back in the days before the merger. He died in 1957. Early in his career, he served our sister congregation just right, what, eight miles from here in Summit, New Jersey. Uh, he was there in 1933, but Dr. Davies rose to national renown a few years later from his pulpit at All Souls Unitarian in Washington, D.C. There he provided a powerful voice on behalf of liberal religion by combining a passion for social justice and civil rights with an abiding concern for both spiritual and worldly matters. Many members of Congress could be found seated in the pews of the church when A. Paul Davies spoke. While at All Souls, Davies and the congregation began no fewer than, no more than either, but no fewer than seven Unitarian Universalist congregations that encircled the Washington Beltway. And for a number of years, four of those seven congregations would gather in their respective houses of worship, whether it be in Silver Springs or at River Road or in Bethesda, wherever, and they listened to Reverend Davies preach by way of a wired radio transmission. I bring this to your attention close to 70 years later because we here at UU Montclair are contemplating a very similar project with our neighbors at First UU of Essex County. And if we go through with the possibility of the merger that we're talking about, we may likely end up streaming not only audio, but visual as well, presentations of our sermons to the folks who will be gathered over there at 35 Cleveland Street in Orange. So I guess there's good precedent for us to think about such an endeavor. I wanted you to know this about A. Powell Davies and about the work of all souls all that way back in the 1940s and 50s. To the point of our theme this morning, though, in his Christmas sermon of 1946, Reverend Davies assured us in the language of that day that when it is darkest, man celebrates the light. When the earth is most desolate, he carols his joy. When the harshest and bleakest of the seasons is upon him, he can turn to gentleness, kindness, and forbearance. His courage can rise superior to his circumstances. Because he said 
so well what I want to convey to you this morning, and because I have no false pride in thinking that I could say it better, because it needs no unpacking at all, I want to share more of Dr. Davies' own words with you. And I suspect that if he had to do it over again now in our age, he would likely degenderize the language, so I'll invite you to do that for him. Even still, he spoke so eloquently of this dark season and its potential for hope that there is no need to do other than to offer his exact sentiments. Perhaps you can listen for a moment as though it were through that wired radio transmission of old. He said, It is interesting to notice that in legend upon legend and story after story, Christmas always begins not with daybreak and the coming of the morning, but at midnight. It was at midnight that the primitive observances began, or as near it as their reckoning could bring them. It was in the darkest hour of the night, not in the glow of the morning, that the shepherds of the legend heard the angels sing. And of course, the three wise men were guided not by the sun, but by a star. The legends have grown both beautiful and fanciful, yet they have never drifted out of the darkness into a premature daylight. They have stayed quite close to the inner truth from which they draw their substance, the truth that man must find his faith, not in the daylight, but in the dark. If he is ever going to come to the light of morning, he must carry his own light with him through the night. Yes, and not only so, but he must make his songs in the darkness too and sing them first at midnight. He must proclaim in the desert a highway when there has been no way at all, not even a path or a trail. He must, and evidently he can. That is the ground of hope, that he can. Not as a gesture of empty defiance, that would be only pathetic, but as an act of assurance, a trumpeting of the soul's final certainty, here is something that goes right back to the beginning, further than thought can reach, back into the primitive from which we come. Here is something that journeys through the centuries, borne by the faith and the courage of the human race. Here is something that beckons to us also from the future, that belongs to the very nature of the human spirit because it belongs to the nature of life itself. It kindles a light. And no matter how little a light it is, the darkness cannot put it out. It says, be not afraid. The good and the true are stronger than anything that stands against them, and sooner or later will prevail. If you doubt it, look backward and trace the path by which we have come. And look around you. In spite of everything, we are still on our way. The darkness is vast truly, but because of it, there is a path of light a path of moving light. Hope is eternal, yes, in the darkest hour, the brightest hope, and at midnight, the sound of caroling. It is because in the goodness of God, we have this at our best, that we shall never be altogether overtaken by what we are at our worst. Brotherhood, we betray it, but we cannot forsake it. Love, we disown it, but we cannot renounce it. And the dream, even in the hour of treason, it reclaims us. For we know that sometime there shall be a world in which man's inhumanity to man is ended, a world of gladness from which all cruelty is gone, in which the joy of each is the joy of everyone, the sorrow of each the sorrow of all. There shall be such a world because there is a song that sings it at midnight, and because in the darkest hour there comes a light to those who sit in the darkness 
and new hope to those who in the wilderness must walk beneath the very shadow of death. And because this is so, wrote A. Powell Davies, let us open our hearts to Christmas. We are at this moment in the very midst of the holiday season, the exact instant of the solstice is merely hours behind us and Christmas lies only a few more hours ahead. The artificial lights that surround us invite us to relinquish prematurely the greater gifts of this season. Those gifts are our birthright and we have to cede them to no one. They are ours to hold on to until we can hold on no more. For it is in this holding where hope is born. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but you, you have promises to keep and miles to go before you sleep, miles to go before you sleep. And so when at those times in the midst of life, things seem to be at their darkest, I hope you are able to hold on in faith and in hope for the coming of the light for the coming of the new day. This is, after all, a season for giving birth to hope. May it be so. There is, finally, only one thing required of us, that is, to take life whole, the sunlight and the shadows together, the light and the darkness, to live the life that is given us with courage and with humor and with truth. We have such a little moment out of the vastness of all time for our wanderings and our loving. So let us therefore have no half-heartedness. Rather, let the soul be ardent in its pain, in its yearning, and in its praise. Then shall peace enfold our days, and glory shall not fade from our lives. And so may the prayers of our hearts and the songs of our lips shared in this holy hour of worship be with us now and in our days to come. As we extinguish our chalice, this worship comes to an end and our service begins. Blessed be and amen.